0: Welcome back, everybody. My name is Eric Johnson. I'm here with my brother, Derek, and our guest for today, Mr. Gilberto Gandra, who is going to be talking with us for our fourth uh, edition of Running Into the Fog, our new podcast, which we're putting together uh, here to explore uh, sort of how the Johnson brothers uh, are helping uh, both each other as well as our friends to adapt to this new pandemic world that we all are confronting here. And, Uh, the early part of 2021. Today's date, by the way, is the 18th of February. Uh, And as I said, this is our fourth conversation here with Gilberto. So I'll toss over to Derek. Yeah, thanks, Eric.
1: Gilberto, it's great to see you again. Uh, We've had some fun stories uh, come up over the years, uh, mostly related to Skip. And actually, in a flurry, I, I searched for my metal uh, that you also, you and Eric have one, I, I, I actually couldn't find it, but remember our old saying, any medalists in the house, we'd raise up our medal, and there we'd yeah. uh, most likely turn to a, a karaoke song. I'm going to ask you a first question. Sure. On your LinkedIn profile, you self-describe as a relationship strategist. <laughs> Tell us more about what you really mean by that.
2: Geez, I um... Well, you know, I, it's, I put it on my resume too for a while. I, I think uh, strategy for me is, uh, it sounds transactional and, and relationships have never been, um, but I think picking the right people around to have around you, um, people that are going to um, help you up as opposed to drag you down um, and everybody needs to uh, support each other at some point and that's fine. Um, but, um, just be really intentional with the company that you keep. Um, sometimes, uh, that, uh, that, that sort of describes a, a good life, you know, you want to do it, you, whatever you're going to do, do it with people you like. Right. So, um, okay. so I, I think strategically, I always look for, you know, making the connections that, um, I feel are going to, I'm going to add value to you and, and will add value to, to my network as well. So.
1: I love that description. And isn't it so true that if you're running through the fog trying to navigate it like we all do and have and will continue to do even after, you know, pandemics long gone. um, It's better to go about it with people that you enjoy that do lift you up rather than go about it alone. So I love that definition. Eric, what do you think about it?
0: Well, I think, you know, you you connected with us at a skip conference uh, a few years ago. I think we started maybe in Atlanta or Orlando and then ended up the next one in either Atlanta or Orlando, because that's all they ever did, uh, was uh, swap between those two cities. But um, I remember staying up all night with you one night and having a really, really great conversation and, and just what a lovely guy you are. And, um the the aspirations that you had at the time uh, were to start a company. Uh, and uh, I understand you've fulfilled those aspirations and I'm just super excited to hear what what Gilberto's up to and uh, the dent you're making in the universe right now, my man.
2: Geez, yeah. So that's, um, that's a loaded question. I think when we met, it was Orlando, you're right. And it was uh, um, with some of your amazing team from Aurora. Um, And we really connected at a, I think at a personal level, because, you know, I think good humans kind of find each other. I'm not saying I'm a good human, but I think you guys are.
0: (laughs) We all try. Uh,
2: I, uh, I did, uh, I did remember that vividly because I didn't know anybody at that conference. It was my first year. I, I had been wanting to go to it for a number of years, almost 10 years, but I was working a corporate job where they were like, well, you know, we don't really think you need to go to some strategic and competitive intelligence conference, you, you should know who your clients are and you should know what their needs are. Hmm. You know, and for me, it was, it was really important to attach some scientific uh, approach to market analysis and, and strategy um, because that was my, my educational background, you know, and I was feeling lost. You know, I did a, a biology and chemistry degree and I ended up selling pet insurance, you know, like, what do I know about market analysis, right? Right. So, um, and, uh, you know, I paid my way the first uh, few conferences, I finally just pulled the trigger and, uh, paid my way. And, and you guys were so welcoming and sort of made me part of that, that community. Uh, the entire skip community was very welcoming and open. And so, um, but, uh, yeah, I eventually left that corporate job, um, and, you know, stayed in animal welfare. I've, I've worked with animal welfare, um, clients um, building uh, SaaS solutions for operational software, two different products um, that I work very closely with. Uh, one is called PepPoint uh, and the other one was called uh, Eve. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the product um, became kind of like the Microsoft or Shelter software, you know, it's uh, over 50% market share amongst wow. uh, uh Animal welfare agencies, both government and nonprofits, um, and um, you know, I eventually got to that point. Like I think a lot of people, when they get to that age, where they're like, "Okay, I've worked a corporate job for somebody else for a long time." Our company had just been acquired by a large, very large uh, corporate uh, uh, entity called Fairfax, publicly traded company. So I'm not sharing any secrets here. Uh, and um, you know, that uh, that was. That was difficult, you know. The uh, the change in in um, in leadership makes you feel like, well, maybe people aren't listening to me as much anymore. Uh, and uh, but I think you know, probably is just one of those things where you get to the point where you're like, I want to do something for, for myself. So I left. I started consulting uh, and did that for with nonprofits for a while, uh, and then eventually uh, joined a small uh, startup uh, called Adopets, which uh, uh, is kind of like the Calendly of pet adoption. If you, you know, everybody's e- using Calendly these days to to make meetings frictionless. Well, this is, this is about making adoption frictionless. And so, um, and then COVID hit, right? And so right after that, COVID hits, everybody wants a puppy. Every shelter wants to not use paper anymore. Uh, and so the company uh, took off. Uh, considerably so.
0: Wow what a success story and so close to your own personal personal passions I think uh, that's something that really stood out to me about you Gilberto when we first met was you know this guy really loves animals and you know he really has a heart for that and it it breaks his heart when those animals are suffering and when they don't have a home and eventually may be killed uh, that you know I think that's where all entrepreneurship should be ideally come from. It should come out of what really breaks your heart and yeah. and what motivates you. Uh, for me, it was motivating me to start Aurora 26 years ago by something that I felt like I could do for a while without getting paid. Um, and I don't know, maybe, that, maybe that's the same for you. It's something that there was a just cause behind it. And that enabled you to weather the startup phase which can be kind of lean yeah you may have noticed
2: (laughs) a hundred percent you know and uh, sometimes you don't have your brother beside you to help you so yeah especially if you're an only child that's extra hard right you got to go out find brothers and sisters to do it with right
0: exactly yeah
1: yeah
2: Um, yeah, yeah i do think like the the startup uh grind is a real thing but I, I find that uh, this sort of age, like middle age now, I'm, well, 43, right? Um, you know, ah, you're that- a, uh,
0: You're a pup. Yes.
2: <laughs> pup. Well, I don't know. I don't know.
0: Eric just turned
2: 51.
0: Compared to me, I'm 51 now. So I'm, I, uh, anybody who's younger than I am is definitely- I, I interrupted you. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> no. I, I mean, I think as you get older, I mean, if you look at startups, I just came out of an accelerator called Techstars, right? And that class average age was probably, you know, in the early thirties, um, you know, and the CEOs were probably close to, um, to 30, if not under 30. Right. So just, uh, and you hear those Forbes, uh, you know, 30 before 30, sort of, uh, we had a couple of recipients of that award, which is, you know, sort of like a rocket ship stamp, you know, for the company. Um, but, you know, I think, um there's, there's late bloomers out there. There's a great book, you know, that's, a, uh, that talks about late bloomers and, and looks at examples in history of, of companies that got started late, like KFC started, you know, when the guy was 65 years old, wow. you know? So, um, but, um, anyways, I, I do think, um, I do think you need something that you want to solve the problem, regardless of whether you're going to make money or not. And that's, hmm. that's sort of the true measure of, a of a business worth pursuing, I think, um, because you can, you can figure out a way to, to monetize it. Um, if the problem is big enough, you know, you should be able to create some economy around that problem to solve it, right? Um, and the best way to, to uh, change the world is to make money doing it because otherwise it's not self, self-sustainable. Right, It's going to, you know, the fund, the government funding goes away or the, or the nonprofit funding or the grants go away and then the company fails. And so you have to be doing something that's going to solve a true problem that people are willing to pay for.
1: Yeah. Did I hear you right, Gilberto, that are you suggesting that the pandemic actually caused your business to flourish because families were seeking pet adoption, much more rampantly or aggressively than pre-pandemic?
2: Yeah. So, you know, there's been this trend towards moving away from purchasing pets for a while in North America, right? It's just, uh, we have an overpopulation issue uh, that's been going on for a while. When I joined animal welfare, um, you know, 20 years ago, 17 million animals got put down. Um, because there were not enough homes and now it's it's much less. it's drastically less it's probably less than five million. Mm. But you know there's still five million animals that don't have homes every year they get put down. And you know the the trend had been going that way anyways. I think millennials are a lot more impact focus when they're choosing what they purchase you know and and how they they conduct uh, business. And so I think, there was already that trend happening, but with COVID, um, you know, a lot of a lot of people wanted to have something at home that was going to keep them company, whether they're by themselves or if they have a young family and they want to, um, you know, get a get a dog or a cat. And so there was definitely a, an increase in pet adoptions um, happening as a result of the pandemic. Um, and then coupled with the fact that animal shelters were having to operate in this new way, you know, it's, it's much harder to sell a digital solution to a shelter that says, well, I just have these paper forms here. What's the difference? You know, the, we see it, the problem for the consumer, like the pet adopter, sees that as a very cumbersome process, but the shelter is, is not as motivated to move uh, away from their, their old habits if they can just use paper, even though it can save, save heartache from the, from the part of the adopter and it, it's a better communication loop and, and all these sort of good reasons um, for them to use something digital. And so, right. you know, in, in our case, it was kind of like the perfect storm of both people wanting more pets and shelters wanting to find digital solutions to replace the paper that they couldn't transact with anymore, right? And, and that's, that's how, it, how it went. (laughs) Perfect storm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree.
0: So, So, you know, sometimes we're uh, at a nexus of opportunity like that. And uh, most of the time, however, we're not, you know, we, we aren't sure which direction to go. It's not obvious uh, to us as business leaders um, what we should lead our people Towards, um, as you sort of look ahead in the next, I don't know, five years uh, in your time horizon, uh, what's next for Gilberto and the business, and where do you take it from here? And how do you know you're right? How do you how do you de-risk the potential mistakes uh, that are out there?
2: So I think being right is is one of those things that's subjective, right? Um, the direction you want to go is probably the right direction. Um, I I think, so in the process of, of going through Techstars and learning about all these other really cool startups that were solving big problems and were very passionate about it, and it was very different than corporate, publicly traded corporate, right? And, um, you know, it, it made me feel like, hey, maybe there's there's other things I could do to help these startup companies. And so I started angel investing uh, about a, a few years ago, but this last year I've, I've done a lot more um, angel investing. Um, and I'm in the process of creating a fund with a, a colleague of mine um, who was a venture capital analyst. Um, and the goal of the fund is to, um, create the fund that will invest in the change that we want to see in the world. Nice. Um, And uh, I think the goal is to look at impact and returns in the same plane because the more and more research that I've done in venture capital and the more and more history and stats I go over uh, and, and people mentors, that are in the VC space and have done it for many years, the more and more I realize a lot of people don't really know what they're doing, <laughs> right? Right. Venture capital is extremely risky. It is super risky. It should never be more than 10% of your, of your investments at any point in time. But it's also extremely rewarding and it's, it's a lot more hands-on, a lot more, you can see what's going on a lot more, even though publicly traded companies have to do disclosures, you don't know if, you know, there's uh, an issue happening, um, you know, that you can actually effect change in. And that's kind of the cool thing about early stage investing is you're, you're able to make connections. If, if the sales pipeline is not doing that great, well, get on LinkedIn and like call a couple of friends. And all of a sudden, like for a small company that can make a huge difference, mm-hmm. right? And so um, that's where I see sort of the, the future going. And I, and I think I embrace the uncertainty. I think you have to, or else you're not, you're not able to do it in a, in a level that, um, allows you to also be a, a good person a good family person and a, you know, a, a good, um, uh, uh, family member, um, husband, a, a good, a good dad, you know, if you're, you're so high, strong about being perfect, um, and getting it right all the time, um, you're also going to be really really disappointed when you don't get it right right Right. so
0: well you also fail to teach your family how to be authentic in the process of doing that so yeah the illusion of perfection um, can be an idol uh, that distracts us from actually what's presented to us as opportunities to be that change you want to see in the world so one more question and I'll pass it back to Derek, but um, what is that agenda for you? What is, are there particular change topics that you're uh, looking at and investing in? Obviously animal welfare is a biggie for you. What else?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, it, as an early like fund, this is my first fund. And so it would be um, foolish to try and, and uh, you know, be very sort of focused on one particular area. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the goal for us is to focus on the type of stage, you know, align that with the thesis. We're early stage investors. uh, So pre-seed or seed investors. Um, And, you know, you look for companies that have a team that is truly diverse, you know, so there's this, this concept now, I don't know if, uh, if you've heard about it before, um, but, you know, if you invest in things that um, are going to be changing the world, but you invest always in the same type of people that decide on changing the world, you don't get to change the world. You just get to change the world for those in, in that particular uh, lens, right? right. Those, those people's lens. Hmm. And so intentional inclusion is a key part of the fund. You know, looking for truly global, diverse companies, globally diverse companies that can see what's happening in the rest of the world. Mm. You know, North America is uh, are, you know, already like way less than it used to be in terms of economic. Uh, you got China is gonna surpass the GDP of the US soon. You know, and, and if you're not looking at globally um, important problems uh, with teams that are equipped, and I think you start with diversity, you know, you, you look for teams that that know that problem is global and can see it um, because they lived it. And so that's the goal of the fund. That That's, I think, the impact part of it, um, which the impact is guaranteed, I think. There's so much um, difficulty raising money for underrepresented, underfunded uh, founders um, that, you know, if you just intentionally include them and don't write checks otherwise for anything else. So every dollar that you put in is going towards a team that would otherwise have a hard time getting started. I think that that's the impact. That's the only way you guarantee returns, right? You got the the impact part done. That is gonna lead to other positives in the world, at least for that team. If the company becomes a massive company and generates returns, then you've done your your other part, which is for financial returns. You know, and I, I hate to make it sound like a, a nonprofit because it isn't. Right. Because the returns are even more important under the fact that you are intentionally including underrepresented uh, founders. Because if you fail, you have this sort of rumbling going, well, you know, those guys tried to do it and, and backfired. They didn't return any monies to their LPs. Mm-hmm. And so... So now you've just validated the bias that's kind of been under, you know, uh, been going on and people don't talk about um, in terms of access to cash. That's really what it comes down mm-hmm. to.
0: You're but also a contrarian. Do... Sorry? You're also a contrarian in that sense by definition. You're investing in things that would not otherwise get invested in. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I think it's an economic principle that it's the contrarians who profit the most, who zig when everybody's zagging, so to speak. Uh, you know, you're building into your investment strategy, in other words, uh, something that's counterintuitive to market trends. And it strikes me that your your misses will be bigger, but your hits ought to be bigger too. And I'll turn it over to the chartered financial analyst for a follow up okay. on that one.
1: Hey, listen, I've, I've forgotten more about that. And <laughs> then uh, I probably ever knew, uh, but I find it super interesting. So I wrote down intentional inclusion and diversity of underrepresented founders and that, you know, going back 10 minutes, you said, I'm not so sure I'm a good human. Well, you've just proven <laughs> to the contrary, Gilberto. I mean, you you started a company at Ad, Adopets, um, you know, to, to be the calendly of, of uh, shelter adoption related scenarios you're talking about these uh, underrepresented founders I mean you've proven already in the short time we've been together and I knew this coming into it or so did Eric that uh, the good human um, thing was not a thing um, but let's talk you know like uh, when you think about these founders who are underrepresented you have an advantage because you've you've uh, run through that proverbial fog uh, before in your own life and then you can be a mentor to them, right. And some yeah. of their pursuits. So I would imagine it's a huge advantage to the, you know, barely 30 somethings at the uh, tech, um, you know, roundup that you just attended that they have a 43 year old sitting there in the room who have learned and failed and learned and failed again and again, and again, uh, to have, you know, that type of person in their, in their, uh, Rolodex. Can you, can you talk about any examples where you know, you've helped somebody either, uh, Perfect their business model already, or fail faster to get to their just cause. Any, anything come to mind in that regard?
2: Geez, yeah, quite a few examples. Um, it just touch back on on like the experience part of it. You know, like I can't even I couldn't even represent like a one percent of the true experience of being a visually diverse minority trying to raise money for a startup with no assets, no, no, no digital product, like pre-product, like, you know, that is, that is hard to do, um, you know, for any startup, but it's extra hard for people that don't have um, or that are visibly minorities. Like I had, I have a bit of an accent um, you guys have been at conferences with me after I've had a few drinks, I have an extra big accent, you know, um, but, you know, my, my co-founder, Arthur, is very, very uh, big accent, but we both look white, you know, and I think a visible minority has a lot more um, uh, barriers to overcome. Now, I do think to some degree, even experiencing 1% of that helps you understand start to understand not understand but start to understand how difficult it could be if you're getting the full 100% or even 70% of of the um you know stereotype uh i don't think that it's um i don't think that it's something that you can ever uh teach somebody to sort of avoid it is it is what it is um but if you can at least be open to trying to understand um, I think that starts to help. It starts to have the conversation. Um, and that's really what I've been trying to do the most uh, in the last, uh, it's been a while, like for, for some time now, there's been this sort of wind of change, um, you know, in, in both, um, you know, the, the stereotypes that are happening within companies, because I was in the corporate world, right? Uh, but then also uh, in the startup world uh, when you're funding a company. But I think, you know, I think there's one company in particular, uh, that I spend a lot of time with the founder and it's a solo female founder. Um, and, um, you know, it's like the, the big red flag of a lot of times it's like, well, if you're a solo founder, that's, that's a risk. And it is. Um, but you know, when you have somebody that's so determined to solve an important problem, you know, it makes you extra determined to help them, you know, and I, originally approached it saying like, well, go get a co-founder and I'll invest, right? Because I'm still, you know, developing my own investment thesis at this point. Uh, and then, um, you know, just her resiliency and how important the problem was. And it's an education tech platform. So, you know, she, and she is an educator. She's not a technical founder. Um, and so all these things kept coming up in my head as these red flags that I've heard of before, but it's just the determination you know mm. to keep going and get the problem solved and get the product built and fight through it and raise the money in a place where it's really hard to raise money for digital stuff and you know i was like you know that was a first check moment for me it's like i oh, i got to be the first check uh and i think she's going to succeed beyond any of her her dreams uh or my dreams so um
1: isn't but, that the you know, truth you, though you i mean Sorry, go when ahead. you when you get into dealing with situations like that, where somebody has so much passion, I mean, over the top, hyper passion about a situation, it does probably make it easier as a thinking about being first check uh, for that founder, even if it's a solo founder, um, somebody that doesn't have the technical aptitude, but they're trying to bring a, a technically capable solution to the marketplace. You know, you gotta you gotta feel better about that as an investor because you're like, wow, I'm. Even if I lost all of my investment, I'm helping somebody fulfill a dream that they have of making the world better, right? Yeah. And to me, I've never done that, but uh, at least in that typical scenario, but I, I have to, if I put myself in your shoes, have to believe that 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 sort of helps you uh, gain some clarity around what investment you're actually making. You're making an investment in that person. Obviously, you want ROI on it, but it's got to raise the game a little bit for you.
2: Yeah, early stages is, is very much about the team. Um, you know, and if it's a solo founder, even more about that person. But I think you know, that's another part of the, the, not thesis, but the statistics around underrepresented founders is that they have harder times to get to that point where they're even prepared to raise. So they, they've been able to navigate life and still keep gnawing in that problem, and just get to, you know, get to uh, a point where they have a product, and then get to the point where they got a million in revenue, and then get to the point where they're doing a series A, you know, and so they've, they've navigated adversity their whole lives in a lot of ways. And so when you're looking at team members, you are looking at those high performers that sort of went through um, some adversity, and And the adversity factor on underrepresented founders is is much higher. And so the resiliency is higher as well. You know, you can't just quit your startup and say, well, sorry, uh, you know, we lost your money investors. I'm just going to go get a job at McKinsey now because I I have a Harvard MBA. You know, it's like um, those are not the type of, of investments that I like to make. I'd rather make an investment on somebody who never went to school and figured out a way to, um, you know, hack their way through some code, put something together, assemble a team, get mentors around them, like straight out of LinkedIn, you know, and eventually, you know, build something that, uh, you know, they're going to change a, a massive problem with, even though they didn't do it by themselves and they didn't have that technical aptitude you know, and another example is, you know, a medical device company, I really, really wanted to invest in. And it was like a long term thing, you know, 10 years of trying to build this device. And, you know, uh, Brandon and I went through this, this process um, to figure out if we could invest, but for early fund, you have to have early wins and medical device is a little too far. So we, we decided against it. Um, But you know, I was just like so impressed with this founder that, you know, I, I just reached out to some people on LinkedIn. I never met them. And I said, you know, you look like you're invest in this kind of stuff. It was like they invested in a company of somebody that I knew. And I just said, you know, do you want to have a conversation? And the guy like jumped on my Calendly and we had a conversation on Monday. He's now talking to the founder. And it was it was actually because of pets. He's like, you know, I mm. saw your profile. I actually love rescuing pets. I used to be a, a documentographer and I used to do documentaries on, on pets, but tell me about the company. Cause I only got 15 minutes and they're, mm. they're talking right now. So, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe it could be a good thing. Um, so awesome. yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta just keep going. You can't look back, you know, like life is about, you know, you gotta decide what you're going to pick up and what you're going to put down and, you know, if you keep dragging everything along um, and thinking like, ah, oh, geez, I should have invested in that one or I should have, you know, it's, it's always good to have hindsight to make sure you, you're measuring against the potential misses you had, but at the same time, you know, you gotta keep going, so.
0: Well, choices imply sacrifice. Uh, and I think that's the thing that is under about choice making is you can't do everything. And you have to decide which things you're gonna sacrifice so you can do the thing. And it struck me as you were talking about this particular uh, woman, the educator, uh, that she was, uh, she displayed criteria for you, investment criteria for you that, um, I won't call it resiliency because she hasn't necessarily been tested like that yet, but I'll call it grit, you know, at this point. It's really interesting that if you look at sort of underrepresented minority entrepreneurs, the fact that they've gotten to your meeting, that they're talking to you is a demonstration of a level of grit that you may not see from a white Lutheran kid from Wisconsin, for example. Uh, But there is, uh, you're building in to the way you attract uh, potential investment partners the criteria that will help to satisfy that, whether you know it or not, by the way, and I think you know it, but uh, but that's that's something that I think is just a part of you, Gilberto. I think it's in your heart, and it's it's so much more beautiful if it's just in your heart, if it's just instinctive and not a not a conscious choice like that. Anyway, random thought, but feel free to react.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the the main reason why you know I brought on this um, this venture. Um, uh, analyst, um, because, you know, I'm the gas, he's the brakes and we work really well together that way. I think you guys are kind of like that a little bit too. I feel like I'm a little
0: bit in the Joe bro formula. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, and you, you want to do, you don't want to do it by yourself. It's really hard to live with the decisions you make. Um, you know, when you're making decisions all the time by yourself, it's extra hard, especially yeah. when you're taking other people's money. Right. You know, it's it's a it's a real it's a real duty. It's uh, beyond just a, you know, oh, I w- I'm going to take some of your money. And I'm going to give you more money later. Um, you know, it may sound simple, but you know, you're living that you know every day uh, to some degree. The, the people that invest in venture, um, they're they're kind of hoping they don't have to live with that. That's why they mm-hmm. give it to you, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that you can live with with those decisions and 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 go and find the right companies and and uh you know we do we do feel like we we've got a good dynamic going on where you're not doing it by yourself um and uh that's that's the thing you want to do things with people that that are aligned with your values and and are trying to do this they're trying to go to the same place and they don't want to do it by themselves either right
1: well that's
0: awesome
1: I'll just say for the audience that may not know, Eric and Derek Johnson, um, this is to say we don't always align <laughs> on those decisions. In fact, sometimes we come at it from such different worldviews or perspectives that it's really healthy you know, for us to see from one another's lenses, and we try to meet in the middle with something that's, that's uh, stronger or uh, more resilient at the end of the day. So thanks for saying that, Gilberto. You know us better than, than some of our listeners. Uh, might, but it's always uh, refreshing to hear somebody somebody acknowledge that about the Joe Bros.
0: That's yeah. right. So I'm interested in knowing what's next for you. Uh, we've taught we've touched on a little bit of that stuff, but what's uh, what's what lies ahead, Gilberto, for you? And kind of uh, how will people track you and follow you and stalk you on Twitter or wherever you hang out these days? Uh, how will they keep up up to date on what you're doing? And I think. Um, I'll throw it out there since you're probably too polite to, uh, to do this yourself. How do they uh, approach you with a pitch or potentially with funds to throw in uh, with you and, and go into business with you uh, to go after some of these uh, contrarian plays that you seem to be quite highly attenuated at discovering?
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, VCs are really great at uh, Twitter. I have a super weak Twitter game, um, but I am very strong on LinkedIn. So I have a lot of, a lot of contacts can uh, just reach out to me on on LinkedIn. It's it's open shared. My name, Gilberto Gandra, um, and you can just reach out to me. I love Calendly and I, I'm never afraid to take a meeting with anybody that wants to talk about, um, you know, uh, an idea that they have that they're looking for money on, uh, or it's a, they have a contact Uh, that they're looking to make. And maybe it's somebody that's within my contact. I'm always very open about making introductions. I'm shameless about making introductions. So, um, you know, there might be somebody I've met once at a conference and then, uh, you know, they happen to be like, you know, the, this guy, what was the connection I made recently? He was a, he's a private pilot. And he was fl- flying the chief underwriting officer for a company. And this other company was like a, a insure tech company. And I didn't even know the, the chief underwriting officer, but I need the pilot. So I, you know, reached out to him. I was like, Jason, do you mind making me this intro for this company that I barely know? And he's like, yeah, I actually, I, f- I fly him every Wednesdays. And uh, I said, well, do you, would you would you be opposed to putting a pitch deck on his seat? He's like, no, this guy's awesome. Like, I actually, he flies uh, next to me sometimes because he's learning how to fly. And so so he did that. You know, they, I don't think anything went beyond that, but at least it got the introduction, right? It gets you on the radar. And everything about this business, the more and more I, I dig into it, fits so well my personality because... I, I don't mind introducing people. I always approach it from the perspective that somebody has something to gain. I shouldn't waste, wait, wait, or waste their time to try and get something in return before I give that to them. I should give it to them, you know, right away. You know, I, I don't care. I mean, I'm not vouching for their fiduciary or their, their account statements. People will do their own due diligence, obviously. But, you know, I think... Um, you know, it doesn't hurt to make an introduction to somebody um, that's well-meaning, especially if it's a product that's going to, you know, save the company some money or, or, uh, you know, uh, solve a real world problem. Like those, those introductions can, can make a huge difference at the startup stage. So
0: Yeah. When you said pilot, uh, you reminded me of one of the funnest nights of my life, which was singing Danger Zone with you at karaoke. Uh, And I don't know that we were particularly good, uh, you know, like on uh, melody with that, but it didn't matter. Uh, And uh, I look forward to singing karaoke again with you someday soon, Gilberto. I really hope that if we don't get up to Sault Ste. Marie and you don't get down here to the Madison area, that we can at least meet in Atlanta or Orlando or God help us somewhere else uh other than or, other than those towns where we've been uh so many times. Um I just want to thank you for being here today. What a cool conversation. It's so good to reconnect with you Derek. I'm going to give you the final word. Well actually we should give Gilberto the final word but got, I'm, I'm going to shut up and toss it to you Derek.
1: I got two final things. So Eric mentioned danger zone but what I really want to know is what are your top 3 go-to songs on karaoke? Yeah,
0: that's a good question
2: key question uh, number one so yeah, i don't know if you remember but i usually i don't like knowing the song oh. I, I like to have people pick three songs and then i sing one of them yeah. and usually they pick one of the favorites and so you end up being okay but i actually do enjoy that nervousness of stand standing up on stage and not knowing like what are the words that are going to come out of the teleprompter <laughs> um you know stage presence is important yeah, you you yeah. got to have fun. And uh, I think uh, if, if you give me three songs, I'll, I'll pick one uh, for next time we get together. Okay. You, know, you, can, uh, and- you can send it to me on, on LinkedIn, post it on my page, and then uh, and then we'll, we'll vote it out. See which one yeah. I want to sing next time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right on. I got to poke a little fun at my big brother just for a second. He's, he's suggesting that between Sault Ste. Marie and Madison, that the, the midpoint is Atlanta. Uh, I think we could meet somewhere like Escanaba or something like in
0: Michigan. Yeah, uh, sure. Do it that way. <laughs> you got a boat, right? Let's go to Door County. Let's meet in Door County.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't know if the boat's big enough for that. It's a little fishing boat, but yeah, we can uh, you know, on a on a good day, maybe if if the Mich- Lake Michigan is flat, sure.
1: Right on. I'm going to bring it back full circle. You remember the the question I asked at the start? Relationship strategist. I mean, you you yes. have just spent 40 40 minutes or so. Talking about how you're a relationship strategist, you're bringing, you know, uh, early founders, people underrepresented or otherwise, together with people who might have a position of helping them, and it's such a, uh, a blessing to know you, brother. And you know, the fact that Skip brought us together many years ago and has kept that uh, relationship alive. You know, I I just want to thank you on behalf of the Joe Bros and Running Into the Fog podcast for. For being a relationship strategist in return to us, so well, thanks for thank that. Thank you
2: very much. This is an honor, and yeah, I guess uh, if you're running into the fog, you just gotta keep going, going, right? right. Just keep, just keep going. you come out of it, or the fog will lift, or something will happen. So
0: that's exactly right. Well, what a great conversation, Gilberto. Thank you so much. And thank you, Derek. And I hope uh, you'll all join us next time for episode five. Uh, we won't tell you who that is. We'll keep you in suspense, uh, but I'm sure it'll be up by now. And um, you know, I'm sure Gilberto will assemble an audience of dozens uh, for our uh, podcast uh, when it launches here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but just once again, from both Derek and I, uh, thank you for being guest number four uh, here in this series. We want to have you back again soon uh, to tell us more of your exploits And, you know, keep looking out for those animals, man. They need all the help they can get.
2: Right on. Amen. Love you, man. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. Bye, guys. Love you back. Bye-bye.